0: will be taking a look at uh, the question of uh, do all faiths point to God from uh, the perspective of 1st Timothy chapter 2. If you want to open up your Bible to that place, it's in the pew in front of you there. It's more towards the end of the Bible. Uh, if you're not familiar, there is a table of contents. You know, we won't look. You can go ahead and uh, flip through the Bible. I don't uh, always know exactly where all of those books are. Some of them are pretty small. Uh, go ahead and take the time to find it. Or you can use your uh, smart device and you can go onto the uh, Bible app and look at live version. And uh, we should pop up there as the uh, first uh, live version of choice since you happen to be sitting in our room. We are glad that you are here. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth speak the truth, but speak it in love, not offensively, but uh, not haltingly either, uh, boldly. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all the hearts, may those in the room also hear without ire, without easy offense, uh, willing to submit and, and just ask what is your will for their life and to be subject to it. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts be what you would have them be, acceptable in your sight, O Lord, we pray through Christ Jesus amen well as we begin uh, let me just first qualify uh, this message uh, before I get to that actual text from 1st Timothy chapter 2 that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth Uh, first of all when I speak on any given subject I can only speak to the limits of my knowledge and I am not perfect so I uh, I welcome hard questions Paul said he loved the Berean Christians uh, even more than the Christians who gathered up in Thessalonica because every night they went home and got out their Bibles and said, is that really true what he said? He said they were more noble than the, than the Christians in Thessalonica. So finally, ultimately, you have to hold me accountable to the word. So I am limited by my knowledge. I, I believe it's considerable and uh, you know, I have reason to be here. I have prepared some thoughts and I do know my Bible to some degree. Uh, also my knowledge of others official statements you know which is different than what some people might believe their church believes or teaches or confesses you know I can only go to their official statements it's always interesting we have um, in our new member classes uh, in in days past Dion talked about this new uh, curriculum which is video based and small group based we used to have a professor who would stand in front of the groups and and they would say, now the Baptists, they believe this. The Presbyterians believe this. And, and uh, we'd have Baptists and Presbyterians say, I don't believe that. Do you believe that? You know. And he was speaking for them. But he would usually speak out of their official documents. And you make the assumption that everybody in those churches believe what they teach and confess. I don't make that assumption about you. You know. Uh, I think you have to uh, make peace with what I teach. And, and each one of you uh, may believe uh, a different nuance of what uh, I find to be true in the Bible. That's my second point. Don't assume that everybody associated with a certain faith or a certain religion automatically accepts their official position as their own. You know, this is called the glorious inconsistency. You know, I've ta- I've talked about uh, various faiths, and I say, well, you know, they don't truly accept Christ. And they say we do too. You know, I think, well, your official church body does not, but uh, nevertheless, an individual may. So don't always uh, guilt by association uh, or even approval by association. People don't always line up perfectly well with the fellowship uh, where they gather. So those two things are important. Uh, we're limited by my knowledge and also the official teachings of those religions. And also don't assume that everybody who's in or associated with those uh, views uh, holds the official position of that church body. And then there are, I think there are two terms that i learned at seminary they're not in the bible but i think they're helpful for the discussion and i'd like to just give you a little seminary primer today and on that white space in the back of spread the word or at home uh, if you're taking some notes these are terms that i think that are helpful the first term is formal principle a formal principle is uh, where do they derive their sense of truth what is their formal principle now for us in this christian church our formal principle is that all norm all teaching all doctrine has to be proved in the Word of God has to be found in the Word of God even in our Constitution uh, we have willingly and freely aligned we are not under obligation but we have willingly and freely aligned with something called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Uh, that's a collection of some 6,000 or more congregations across the nation that can do some things together that we would find hard doing by ourselves You know, conducting universities and schools. We can do that together. We can't do that so well by ourselves. Sending missionaries to foreign countries. We do that with others. We cannot do that all by ourselves. And so there's reason to come together in some form of greater association. But in our constitution affiliation with that group, it says that they can impose upon us uh, various beliefs only in as much as they are proved faithful to the word of God. So if they impose something on us and I say, show me the Bible where that is, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Uh, If they can't prove it in the Bible, I say, you know, well, I respectfully disagree or we're not going to conduct it that way in our congregation. So everything has to be uh, found on the basis of Scripture. That's our formal principle. That's where we derive our teaching. Now, not everybody uses the Bible alone. Roman Catholic Church also has the Pope who can speak as a living apostle and can give truth. Uh, to the same level to the same degree as the apostles did Uh, the Orthodox Church Roman uh, the Russian Orthodox the Greek Orthodox the Eastern Orthodox they have patriarchs who also can speak a word of truth and it's recognized as being directly from God Uh, 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 Mormon Church has another testament you hear them advertise on TV the Book of Mormon another testament so they have the scripture plus the Book of Mormon for us Scripture alone, Old Testament, New Testament, the canonical books that uh, have historically been accepted as being taught by an apostle or by a prophet. That's our formal principle. Secondly, what's the material principle? Formal principle, material principle. Material principle is what is the chief teaching of that faith? Especially the soteriological chief teaching. You know, what do they teach about, you know, uh, a relationship with God? What do they teach about this means of salvation or afterlife? What is their chief teaching? For us, very clear, we believe that man is saved not by works, but by grace through faith alone in Jesus. You know, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, man is saved not by his works, but only by uh, grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And to perform then the works that come out of that faith, they they do not come alongside, but because we are saved, we want to live a life that honors God, but that is not to be saved, that's because we are saved. See the difference. Okay, so formal material principle. I think those are always good questions to ask somebody. So where do you derive your teaching? You know, is it the Quran? You know, where where do you derive your teaching? Uh, we would say from the scripture, the Old and New Testament. And what is your chief teaching? We are saved by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Now let's get to our text. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to make some points based on this chapter and then some additional points as well. And then I'm going to give you a chance to text in your questions so i'm going to be quick uh beginning at verse one in chapter 2, two first timothy uh, paul says first of all then i urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions with thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men does he say pray only for your family no does he say pray only for your church no does he say pray only for christians no he says pray for all people pray for your enemies Yes, they are people as well. So he wants us to be in prayer. He wants us to be concerned about all people, not only those who are like us, but those who are not like us as well. And then he goes on. He says, and also for kings or for presidents or for prime ministers, you know, those people who are at the top of the pecking order in political societies, for kings who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil life and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So did Paul urge Christians then to pray for Caesar? He wasn't a Christian leader. Yes, he did. And because he said, you know, when the political system is secure, freedoms abound. When the, when the political leaders feel insecure, uh, they take away freedoms. Paul Paul cared, as we all care, you know, how our government is led. But he was more concerned about the ability to share the faith in a governmental system, whether it was you know, anywhere in the world that he happened to be traveling. So he would always pray for political stability for the sake of the gospel, and so we should too. You know, uh, I I know this gets muddled in American Christianity. Uh, You know, uh, some people can't separate these two, and I think there's value in doing that. We are American citizens, and you should have an American citizen's voice. Luther called that the kingdom of the left. You know, you should You should be actively involved in politics and and put the best government you can possibly put in place that would hold your values. It may or may not hold your values. You still pray for them. You still pray for whoever happens to be that leader so that we have that peace to conduct our ministry because uh, whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian, we want peace so that we can do our Christian thing uh, in that society, however it is organized. Let's move on. Three, four, five, six, and seven. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Why? Because he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. The testimony uh, not not born in terms of uh, Bethlehem, but the testimony given to the world at just the right time. And this, and for this I was appointed as a preacher and as an apostle. The word literally means one who was sent. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. As a, one who was sent to the non-believers, to the Gentiles in faith and truth. Although Paul himself was a Pharisee, he was raised in the Jewish culture. God said, Paul, I want you to go uh, among the culture that is not largely Jewish uh, throughout Asia Minor. I want you to even go up into Rome. I want you to go up in, in Galatia and uh, philippi and uh, corinth and all of those non-jewish places and testify to jesus because god wants all people not only jewish people but even people who don't believe in the old testament also to know who jesus is so let's derive some teaching uh from this section of the bible that i just read first of all god wants all people to be saved he always has and he always will even in the old testament he didn't want only the jewish people to be saved In fact, if you read the Old Testament with discerning eyes, he said the Jewish people should be a light to the world. They should be a flag to the nations. As God deals with them, whether in judgment or whether in blessing, other nations would say, look at how their God treats them. And and so whether they're being uh, uh, chastened by God, and they were for a time in slavery in Egypt, people would say, why is their God this way towards them? And then they would have a witness. And so he used the entire nation as a witness to the entire world. And and God had a concern for the entire world back then, too. You remember the story of Jonah, swallowed by a well, right? That may be all you remember about the story. But actually, Jonah was being sent to Nineveh. You know, he didn't want to go. He got on that ship going in a different direction because God wanted to say these Ninevites who did not believe in him, he wanted them to learn about him, so he sent this prophet up there. Prophet said, I'm not going. Got on a boat going the other way. Uh, God caused a storm, and the people said, uh, you know, why is God doing this to us? And Jonah said, I'm the reason. They threw him overboard, and God eventually got him to Nineveh. And uh, the, the city converted. It was a city-state. They converted, believed in God. And, and Jonah said, see, this is why I didn't want to come here. I knew you were gracious, and I think these nonbelievers should get what they deserve. Human nature. You know, that's the story of Jonah. And uh, God demonstrated, even in the Old Testament, that he wants all people to be saved, even though we sometimes don't. Nowhere in the Bible can you show me that he has predestined some to be saved and some to be damned. God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he wants us to bring that message to the ends of the earth. Secondly, God wants all people to know the truth. Not only to be saved, but to know truth. This is why we gather in the church. You are all saved who believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You could all go home. You don't need to be here. Just come every now and then. And some people kind of believe that. You know, I'm saved. I don't need to go to church. I know Jesus died for me. Well, there's more to it than just dying for you. Hebrews chapter 6 says, can we move on now past the elementary teachings of the faith? Because there are other things that you ought to know that are good for your life and good for the world. And so we continue to make it our life's journey to study his word so that we can not only know the doctrines leading to salvation, but also the doctrines leading to the abundant life. For I have come that you might have life to the fullest, Jesus said. He wants us to know salvation. He wants us to know all the truth. At one time, all people knew God and all people knew God's truth. Some people say, well, what about those people who who, uh, have never heard of God? At one time, all people knew of God. And uh, this has relevance in our contemporary society, too, because I sometimes have parents saying, you know, well, we, we believe in Jesus. I don't see why we need to go to church all the time. Well, there sit their children. You know, the children's grandparents went to church all the time. Parents don't go as frequently. Uh, children will go not at all. And what happens to the third and fourth generation then? You're only one generation from people who used to be believers. It's very, very important that we demonstrate and not just hold uh, as a principle our Christian faith that we demonstrated to the next generations that are coming up behind us. Uh, At one time, all people knew God. At the time of Adam and Eve, all people knew God, all of their children. And then during the flood, all of Noah's children knew God. At some point, somebody decided, I don't need that in my life. They didn't just decide that for themselves. They decided that for their children. They decided that for their grandchildren. They decided that for their village. They decided that for their region. And eventually, they decided that for an entire nation that left God based on one person's movement. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care. You know, even though the devil brought sin into the world and with it came uh this rebellion against God, God immediately even when sin came into the world immediately responded to sin by promising a savior. Even to Adam and Eve in the first sin in the first garden, God didn't want them forever separated from him, so he said I'm going to send a savior. And he's going to crush the the head of Satan. He's going to destroy him although he himself will suffer uh, in the doing. God immediately responded to our lost condition. And in verses 5 and 6, he reiterates how God responded. For there is one God, the true God in heaven, and he has sent one mediator between God and men, the one who was uh, sent to bring us back to a relationship with the Father. Who was that? Uh, The man Christ Jesus you know, who was true man and true God, Emmanuel, God in human flesh. And he gave himself as a ransom, you know, a payment so that we could be restored, all of our sins paid for on the cross so that we could be restored into a relationship with God in life and also in death, who gave himself as a ransom for everyone, even those who don't believe for him, even those in hell, Jesus died for them as well. It's not effective if we don't believe, just like if I'd write you a check and you never cashed it, it would be worth the money I, I have in my bank, but if you never cash it, it's like you don't have a promise at all. It's like you have no uh, blessing at all. He says, I'm telling the truth, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Um, four, uh, God did not leave the salvation of those who are far from him to chance. He did not leave it to chance. You know, even in his foreknowledge, God knew that there would be this separation, there would this be these families, and there would be these nations that would leave him and no longer associate with him. He did not leave them without witness. Uh, he gave them a conscience, and he gave creation to constantly bear testimony to them. We call this the natural knowledge of God. Paul speaks about it extensively in the book of Romans. He says in chapter 2 of Romans, he says, When nonbelievers, Gentiles, when nonbelievers who don't even have the Bible, do instinctively the things that the Bible requires. Isn't it fascinating in in this world? I mean, that all cultures, even those who don't know God, know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to lie. They know it's wrong to hurt innocent people. They know it's wrong to murder. Why? Whatever happened to Darwinism? Survival of the fittest. Why not just kill and take anything you want? Why is that morally reprehensible in every culture? Because people have the law of God written on their heart. He says, when those who don't even have the Bible do instinctively the things that the law requires, they show that the law is written on their heart. They have a conscience that bears witness. It either accuses them or it excuses them. You know, we have this moral fiber that God has put on all men. And we have to ask, why is that? And it drives us in search of God. That's Paul's whole argument. I can't go into it at, at great length. His whole argument in the opening chapters of Romans is, you know, they have this conscience that should drive them to find uh, the reason why they have it. They have this creation that should drive them to the one who created. In chapter 1 it says, For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen in the world being understood through that which he has made so they are without excuse. You know, in Hebrews chapter... uh, Three, it says every house has a builder. So who built this place? And it causes them to question it should drive them in search of the true God. In Acts uh, chapter 14, it says God has not left himself without witness. He has put around them all the things that happen in the world and they have to scratch their head and say, why and how? Uh, I can't imagine being a scientist. I can't imagine being a physician, being involved in some uh, understanding of the cycles of the world and think this happened by chance. There has to be an intelligent design in these things which leads us to believe in a creator. So God has not left it to chance. Number five, it is the obligation of those, who us, uh, those of us who know the special revelation that God has revealed in his word about how he has brought about salvation because natural knowledge can only give you a vague knowledge of God and a vague knowledge of his power, not that he has brought about our forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. But those of us who know that, it's our obligation to seek and to save those who don't know that. So the question is, do all faiths lead to God? I, I think it's within man's heart always to search for God. And they find that in different spiritual expressions. But is that the true God? Here's what Second John, which is only one chapter long, verses 8 to 9 say. Watch out for yourselves that you would not lose the faith that you have come to believe... But that you may receive all of its blessings. For anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Jesus does not have the Father. The one who abides in this teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So while they have an understanding of God, it's not the true God, because if they have not Christ, they have not the Father, the Bible says. So there we have it, uh, this uh, uh, answer to the question, do all faiths lead to God and yet God's desire is? that he would be uh, a part of everybody's life. Let's turn it over to your questions. Uh, the text is at the top. If uh, you still want to text a question, and there's plenty of time. And if I don't answer it here, Pastor Dion and Pastor Ryan conduct their six podcast every week and they will discuss other questions that get texted in uh, uh, on Wednesday. So go to the podcast on our website and you can hear more discussion as well. Does every religion that believes in uh, God go to heaven? Uh, no, I don't believe that's true. I, I believe that uh, you can be faithful in religions that don't teach salvation through Christ Jesus. And you can be a highly moral person, uh, but that doesn't mean that you will be in heaven. You know, it was interesting when Jesus came up to a man and he said, you know, what's the most important doctrine of, of, of God? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He didn't have it all because you can't do that. You can't love God perfectly. You can't love your neighbor perfectly. Try. You will fail. You know, you're not far. That guy wasn't far from the kingdom of God. When it comes to heaven and hell, I I talked about this last week. Go back and listen to the archive. Uh, I I said there's a long spectrum, I think, of heaven and hell. Uh, Whether you believe in God, you are in heaven. Whether you believe in Jesus, you are in heaven. But we know that there are uh, various levels of reward in heaven. The Bible extensively teaches that truth. We are there by grace through faith in Jesus only but you will not lose your reward there are rewards for those who have served faithfully in heaven i won't be jealous of somebody who has a greater reward a greater position of honor in heaven i'll be happy for them just as i am for my kids or anybody else there's no jealousy in heaven that would be sin but there will be differences and i think conversely i think there will be differences in hell i don't think everybody will suffer the same degree of suffering in hell but you are either with god on earth and with god uh, in heaven or not god does not force himself on people if people choose not to have god in life they will not have god uh in heaven and i think if god is light then what is not being with god it's darkness you know if god is love then what is not being with god you know it's something other than love you know maybe it's conditional not unconditional love and so i think there are degrees of suffering even as there are degrees of glory next question Uh, the jewish people don't believe in jesus does this exclude them from heaven Paul wrote extensively about this in Romans, uh, I think, 6 and 7. He said, I wish I would even go to hell, he said. Can you imagine? You know, if those for whom the promises were made would accept Jesus. You know, he was, he was so concerned that they might not accept Jesus. Uh, I think it's required that they accept Jesus, but we don't pass judgment too quickly on them. Uh, I think the best way to witness to people is to ask them what they believe. You know, I, I uh, have friends who are Jewish I, I play golf at a course that used to be largely Jewish. I even play with a rabbi sometimes, and we have interesting discussions. You know, I I like to ask him questions, you know, about what he believes, and it frustrates him a bit. He's here to play golf, he'll remind me, and uh, and uh, I said, obviously you're not playing that very well, so let's talk, and uh, and, uh, and 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 so we'll talk, and then what always happens then is he asks me questions. He runs out of answers. I don't run out of answers typically, you know. I. I I know what I believe. I know what I believe. And uh, don't pass judgment on people. Remember that second point. Just because they're not willing to say openly that they believe, they're hearing this message. At Christmas, you can't be in America and not hear the message about Jesus. Just because they might be secret in their faith, it doesn't mean they don't believe. So let's not pass judgment. Let's just continue to do what we're asked to do, is to share Christ with them. And whether they are open or not open about it, Uh, we aren't the ones to make that judgment. Let God make that judgment uh, in the final end. And as I said, you know, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I can't change that. I can't say say there are many ways that lead there. No one comes to the Father but by me. So it's important that they accept Christ. And it's important. Otherwise, we should bring all of our missionaries home. Why bother those people? They have their way to heaven. We have ours. It's not what the scripture teaches. We send our missionaries because there's one way. And we want to share that way. And we do that to the best of our ability. And man, there are organizations that do that in every culture and in every language. And you should find them and support them. Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons claim to be part of Christianity. Are they? Uh, Some are, some are not. You know, I I don't know. You have to talk to individuals. uh, Because uh, my son, who who, uh, conducts Christian ministry in Idaho, uh, finds that most Mormons uh, actually... Uh, hold the basics of the Christian faith uh, as they are taught. Now, is that the official religion uh, that they are taught? No. Uh, You know, the official faith of the Mormons is that Jesus became a God and you can become a God by your faithfulness as well. That you pre-existed as a spiritual being and this is your testing time and you will have to answer for it in the afterlife. That's not taught in the Bible. It's nowhere taught in the Bible. But do most people in that church believe that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think, you know, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, they don't sing better Christian music than that. You know, and how can you sing that stuff and not understand what it says? You know, so let's not be quick to pass judgment on what any individual associated with those uh churches might believe. Let's just continue to witness to the truth. It's not our place to judge whether they do or not. It is our place to judge the things that they teach as being true or not true based on what we know to be true in the Bible. And while I'm on that subject, the question should arise, and maybe you're just too polite to ask it, what well, makes us think that we're right and they're wrong? The Bible. See, the Bible's a factual book. It's not a philosophical guide to life that some wise people said, you know, here's what I think, here's what I feel. No, it can be examined. We have in our bookstore a little track. We mentioned one last week. We're not going to hold one up every week. But uh, this one's down there for a buck, and it, it's called Reasons to Believe. You can examine the Bible. You can examine the history of the Bible outside of the Bible itself. You can examine the people outside of the Bible itself. You can examine the wars outside of the Bible itself. You can examine the geography outside of the Bible itself. You can examine the predictions and the fulfillment outside of the Bible itself. You can prove factually the Bible's trustworthy. Try to do that with the Book of Mormon. Try to see the cities, the rivers The mountains, the geographic areas of the Book of Mormon and try to go find those. You will not. And if it falls down on the facts, maybe it falls down on the truth that it teaches. You know, if the Bible fell down on its facts, then question its truth, but it doesn't. Archaeology continues to support uh, the truth that can be examined. Therefore, perhaps the teaching uh, should be trusted. I I highly recommend that, especially for your college-age students, especially for you. You read it, underline it, share it with somebody else, uh, buy it for your friends. Next question. Do all denominations of Christianity lead to heaven? If so, why the sharp disagreements and criticisms between them? Well, you know, I, my Bible, the Bible that I use, has notes in the bottom. You know, it's a student's Bible. It's a study Bible. It's, it's a professorial Bible. The guy who wrote the notes in my Bible is Dr. Ryrie, Southern Baptist Convention. You know, he's SBC, he teaches, he's probably, he's probably retired. He may even be with the Lord by now because it's, it's, it's been out a long time. Great notes. This guy knows more about the Bible than, I, than uh, I probably ever will. And yet, he's clearly wrong in some things. You know, as I read his notes, I just say, you know, that's not supported. Not even in the text that he uses to uh, support his conclusions. And I say, if he's wrong in some things, I wonder what I might be wrong on. You know, there's probably some things that I might think I'm absolutely sure about. So I think, I think the basic Christian issue is, what is their material principle? what do they teach about jesus what do they teach about salvation those christian churches that teach that jesus christ was born as god he lived he died and through faith in him we are forgiven people who follow that truth are saved even though their preacher even though their denomination may teach many other things that i do not agree with and and do not found proved in the bible so i, I think that's the answer to the question yes yes there are many uh in those faiths who teach things that i would never teach i believe they're even wrong Um They may even have a very liberal view of the Bible that it's not God's word. It's not inerrant. It has all kinds of errors. It just contains God's word. It's not God's word. It's not even inspired. It was just written by wise guys uh, who knew something about God. Uh, Even in those churches, if they teach Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and if you believe in him, you die, you go to heaven, then uh, although almost everything else is subject to opinion, uh, I think even in those churches, people could be saved. Amen? So, you know, I always say I'm a fan of people who preach Jesus Christ. Uh, even though they may teach other things that are in error oh he said you've been talking too long we are not we don't have any time for more questions that's what he's saying to me so so that's okay uh let me just make one line, last comment uh and i think this is really important i never forgot it, it was a wise professor at my uh in my seminary training uh, and i think he was wise because he was a pastor most of his years he wasn't he didn't go right out of seminary and become a a professor he lived and worked among people for most of his ministry and then in his older age he went and taught other people how to be pastors and he used to refer to this passage from Timothy uh, preach the truth in love you know and and I think this is essential you know truth without love is never heard if you are a self-righteous condemning judgmental Christian you could be right and no one will listen to you no one will pay any attention because of your spirit and your demeaning attitude teach the truth in love however if you're loving and say it doesn't really matter what you believe children you know in your own family it doesn't matter what you do that's not really love either so these two have to come hand in hand love and truth and I think that's really important for you Uh, people won't believe what you say if you don't demonstrate the spirit of Christ in your life I I see no time in the Bible where Jesus chased people down the street and demanded that they convert on the spot. You know, he let them walk away. And some of them, it says, became secret believers. You know, and I, I think you don't plant something and harvest it the same day, do you? It's just not the way. You may be the one who plants. Somebody else may be the one who cultivates and waters. And somebody else may harvest. It's only your job to show Christ. And only your job to show Christ's truth in your life speak for yourself, don't speak for them, don't lecture, but don't deny the truth either. Say for me, this is what I believe, and then share it. It has power. The Bible says God's word does not return to him void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. So you, it's not a fair fight. When you share the truth of God, the Holy Spirit goes with it, and it has the power, the power to change a heart. So that's, that's my closing statement. Let's, uh, let's uh, uh, have a closing prayer. Lord, help us to be the kinds of Christians that you would have us be the salt and light of the earth, that that we might not only know the truth, but also demonstrate in a spirit of love and compassion, as you show in our life, help us to show also in the lives of others, uh, through not only what we believe, but also by how we live, and we pray it all in Christ Jesus' name, amen.